But I'd like to today just share some of the things that God is speaking to my heart, and I hope that it'll be encouragement to you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that uh, your word is powerful. It's indestructible seed, incorruptible, the life that's inherent in it, Lord. Thank you that it's indestructible and it brings forth life. Thank you, God, today that you have created us to receive this seed, this word, and for it to produce fruit in us. Thank you for everyone that's here to hear these things, but more important, God, that your spirit is drawing us, quickening us, equipping us, perfecting, as your word says, making us complete in every good work to do your will, working in us that which is well-pleasing to you. Thank you, Lord, now to grant grace and to be with the rest, all those who are recuperating from a busy camp. We pray that God, you'd encourage and strengthen their hearts and protect the good seed that was sown in the hearts of all the children this week. We pray that, God, their home life and everything else around them would not in any way diffuse or distract from the good things that you have planted, but instead would nurture and cause those seeds to be cultivated and grow. But we thank you for every life that was touched. We commit them to your keeping power, believing, God, that that which you have begun, you will bring to finish, to completion, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so just some thoughts here. Um, Chris sets up Digging Deeper every week, and this last week, just to prime it, he sent out a verse, and it fit into where I was going, so I thought I'd open with this verse in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, read together with me, would you? Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, I grew up in a denomination where they glorified the unknown, where they made much, they deified the concept that we can't know. And uh, it was really a Christianity about not knowing. <laughs> that was the, my background was a, not a, they weren't preaching the gospel. They weren't exalting Christ as the finished work of, Christ, of God in terms of the gospel. But they made a, a wonderful thing of this religious aspect of, of not knowing, the great mystery of God. And when I came into Pentecostal churches, I was thrilled with the idea that there were some things you could know. Some things which were true that you could stand on and that you could have experience and they were truth. They weren't emotion. They weren't just, you know, uh, smoke. But there was some reality there that you could know about God and then you could know that in your own personal life. But I've come to live through these many years now in the Pentecostal movement and seeing other movements and reading lots from other groups and other streams. And I realized that no group has all the truth and um, we can all lose our way. Movements can lose their way. Churches can lose their way. And I found that there's something that's come into the body of Christ, it seems, on the North American scene and much of the modern scene where we exalt, almost we glory in our brokenness and exalt in our inability, our, our weakness, where we make that the, 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 the highest virtue is that I can't know and that I'm powerless and, oh God. And we, we, our songs reflect that sometimes, that it's all about how weak and, and how impossible it is for us. Now understand, I believe that too. I believe that just like the Bible says that in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. That's what the Bible says. It also says that apart from him I can do nothing. But the great news is is that I'm not without him. That when you're a child of God Jesus is with you and he never leaves you. That he didn't come into your life on the basis of what you did or how you deserved it. He came into your life on the basis of faith. And when he came in, he came in to stay. He loves you. 
He loves you. He loves you. It is unconditional. He's not fickle. He doesn't change. He doesn't love you more one day than the other day. He loves you with unconditional, consistent love. And this love is transformative. It's the basis through which our faith works, the Bible says. Faith working through love. So everything about this gospel is based on this, and you got to get this or you won't understand anything else. God loves you. Not based on how well you perform this week. Not on how good you are at reading your Bible or how much you tithe or how often you go to church. God loves you. Why? Because you're so lovable. Is that why? <laughs> Is it because you're so lovely? God loves you because God is love. Now, this is the secret. This is the, the wonderful thing. What we don't realize, the enemy has really, really managed to defame God. And his biggest ally has been the church. <laughs> Oftentimes, the church has, has obscured this reality and made it so complicated for people to come in or to grow and to develop in their faith because we confuse this most basic issue. So I'm here to tell you again, as Pastor Steve consistently affirms, that God is love and that those who know love walk in God and God is in them. And this is where it's all at. So love is really, really the ultimate beginning point of it all because God is love and he loves us. Praise the Lord for that. But I'm here to say today that I'm thrilled, like just what Steve was saying about how, you know, something came to him and he realized it wasn't new truth, but it was new again to you, something fresh that I started to see in these last several months, in this last year of my life, that I can know and understand some of the things which are true about God that directly impact my life and that I have choice and that there can be desired outcomes which I can participate in where it's not just a, a big gamble and a big spiritual lottery hoping that something is going to work eventually. That's going to turn around and work out good for me. No, I, can, I was seeing again that there are ways that I could walk in the wisdom of God and understand what the will of the Lord is. Now, how many here know Jeremiah 29, 11? Come on, how many have that on their fridge or somewhere in there, right? How many can say it out loud? Anybody can stand up and say it? We'll get a star on their chart. <laughs> Jeremiah 29, 11. Who's... who's Everybody except Henny. Anybody? Because <laughs> I know you know that. Anybody else know that verse off by heart? Anita? Give, lay it on us. What, what is it? No, you're chickening out, see? Okay. Well, it's actually, I know the plans that I have for you, or the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord. Let's read it together, can we? Tim, bring that up, thank you. Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's read out loud. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. A future and a hope. You know, I looked through every possible version of the Bible I could find in this, went back to literal translations, and I discovered that the King James 21st century translation actually captured it best on the basis of what the original intent of the message was. It was and it says this in the New King James 21st century. Can you bring that one up, Tim? I don't know whether you can do that version on your source there. The 
NK, or the King James 21st century version? No, it's not in that one. But it says this. I know the thoughts or the plans that I have for you, the Lord, the plans to bless you, not to harm you, and to give you an expected end. Think about that for a moment. God's intention is for us to come to that place in his love and in his understanding, in the word, in the wisdom of God, understanding that we can have an expected end. That we don't have to live this life like those who have no God, walking around in the dark, bumping into the same thing again and again, repeating the same cycles. But we can actually have things which are in the heart of God. We can know what those are. We can have hope toward those things. And we can move toward them in confidence because we have choice. Because God has given us capacity to choose and to believe. And because his word reveals those things which are true all the time. Those things are true about him and about what he's done in us. And what his intentions are toward us. Now right even just from this verse alone, we know that God's got good things in his heart for us. Not evil. God has good plans for you. Do you hear me? I know that you see it through the, through the filter of your, of your struggles. You see this whole thing through the filter of your disappointments and your failures or when something didn't work out the way you wanted. God kind of gets lost in that shuffle or you get disappointed or hurt by church or some preacher offends you or something happens and you start to reinterpret God on the basis of those things. I'm here to tell you, come back to the word of God. See what God's word says. This is the truth of what he is all about. He has good plans for you. Not for evil. God is not in the evil business. God is in the good business. <laughs> and he's got a good desire for you. And he wants you to have an expected end. In other words, you don't have to put this on some spiritual lottery, like some kind of a, a religious crapshoot, hoping that if you roll the dice right or if you're just good enough, something good is going to come back to you. Now, I'm here to tell you that there are things in God which are definite. That if you will hear in your spirit what I'm saying today, even it's going to help, I hope, and it'll encourage you. That you can believe those things, you can expect those things, you can move towards those things. The devil try to make you think that you don't have a choice, you do have a choice. The devil try to make you think that you're not worthy, yes right, you're not, but you're not in your own worthiness. You're standing in the worthiness of Jesus Christ. You can come to God and you can believe his word and you can receive the things that God has for you on the basis of what Jesus has done, not on the basis of what you have done. I love this saying, and I say it again today just in passing. When we come to God through Christ, we receive by grace what Jesus deserves, not what we deserve. I don't get what I deserve. I get what Jesus deserves because I am in Christ. The Bible says I am made the righteousness of God in him. Okay. So God has good plans for you, and he wants to give you an expected end. And I, if I were to ask you today, what is your expected end? What is it that you're believing God for? What is it that you're standing on which is more than just shifting sand? What are the rocks in your life that you've got that you say, I know this is what God wants for me. I know this is God's plan. I believe this with all my heart, whether I can see it with my eyes or not. Where anybody else gets it or not, it doesn't matter because I believe God has good plans for me and he's shown me something. I'm standing in faith. I'm standing upon his word. 
And I'm making choices towards that thing. No matter what else is going on around me or what my own emotions, my performance tells me, I believe the word. I'm standing on the word. I'm holding to the word of God. I'm not not being foolish, but I'm learning what the will of the Lord is. And I'm standing in that for my life and for my family, for my marriage, for my future, for my career, for whatever aspect of my life. God's word says that the Lord has good plans is the thing that you're standing on, the hope that you have for the future, is it good? I can tell you right now that if you're living under the dread of the future, worried about some outcome of judgment or failure or defeat, I can tell you that that is not God's thoughts. That's not the plans of God. He doesn't intend for something bad to get worse. God's intentions are for good things for you and for you to start to shift your perspective. Shift your focus from the things you see in the natural to the things that you see in his word. Okay, the Bible, a couple of places, talks about carnal Christians. And we've come to think of that to mean carnal as in what? Evil or sinful or fleshly in a sinful way. But carnality actually means something else. What does it mean in the Bible when it says carnal Christians? It actually means according to the senses according to the natural flesh or the natural man, according to the five senses. What are they? Taste, touch, sight, hearing. Oh, sorry. Seeing, yeah. And, right? Feeling, whatever, all these things. These are all things in the natural. And when the Bible says somebody's a carnal Christian, it simply means that they're living according to their natural senses. It means that they're seeing their world and experiencing their world through the filter of those things which are natural, just like people who don't have the Spirit of God, just like the people who don't know God. And the Scripture admonishes and says that you become carnal when you're not living or walking according to the Spirit through faith. And the beauty of this whole thing is this, is that you don't have to be living according to the carnal fleshly nature. You can be walking in the spirit, understanding what the will of the Lord is. Now, this is thrilling to me. This has come alive to me, and I know I've referred to it a couple of times in the last little while, but I'd really like you to look at this just for a moment with me. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. Tim, if you just bring that up. And starting at verse 3, Mark chapter 4, verse 3. And we're going to read through to verse 13. Okay, can you guys see that? Okay, would you read out loud? Let's start to read out loud, okay? And he began again. Go ahead.
But to them... Stop. Say that last verse again. Know you not this parable? How then will you know all parables? Okay. This is a unique teaching of Jesus Christ in that he tells us that if you don't get this one, you probably won't get any of them. If you don't understand what this is about, you're probably not going to understand anything that I'm going to teach you from this point on. One preacher put it this way. This is the Rosetta Stone. Right? Now, you've heard about the Rosetta Stone. You've heard about how there's a language learning tape series you can get to learn languages. But the Rosetta Stone refers to an actual archaeological find. Before they found this stone, they could not decipher specific ancient hieroglyphics. They had no basis, no code to unlock it. When they found the Rosetta Stone, it had three languages on it. One of them was these ancient hieroglyphics, and the two other were known ancient languages. So now they had a basis to compare. By comparing those translations, they could now understand and break the code and figure out what the rest had to say. So the Rosetta Stone stands for the code breaker, the basis to be able to understand the rest of the story, the rest of the things that God has for you. And Jesus is saying that this thing I'm telling you today about the sower and the seed, that if you don't get this, you probably won't get anything. So it's really important that we get this. And this is the things that God has been starting to stir upon my heart is that there are things in God which we can know. We can know what the will of the Lord is. We can understand them. We, cannot, we can walk not in darkness but in light because we have choice and there is power available through Christ based on His love and His finished work. And in this specific passage of Scripture, this parable, Jesus talks about sowing and seed. Now, I wanted to bring before you this morning, different seeds. I had cherries, I had lemons, and I had different things. And I wanted to show you how they look differently physically. But what occurred to me most significantly in my heart this week was this, is that the idea of seeds affects everything in our world. Right? Think about it. Everything in our world that's living has some connection to seed, including you. Everything in all of creation. And that's why Jesus is making this parable. He's connecting everything to this concept that seeds have everything to do with what life is that God has created. And he's taking this principle of seed and life and he's revealing something about the kingdom and he's telling us things about what the kingdom really is like and what it does in the life of the believer. And he says... To them, when he's explaining to them, he says, The seed is the word of God. 
The seed is the word of God. And he's telling them that the seed it is distributed and it lands on different soil. And when that soil receives it or doesn't receive it or responds to it however it chooses, it affects how that seed will produce life. Well, what God has been showing me is that his word is indestructible, life-giving seed. And that when the child of God receives that seed by faith, it starts to become a life within them and grows. And as they meditate on it, and as they water that by, by encouraging themselves in the word, by talking about it with others, by expressing it in faith, that thing grows and grows and grows into them, inside of them until one day what's going to happen with that seed? It's going to... It's going to bring forth life. It's going to start to... To, to break out and bring forth life. It's going to start to bring forth the thing which is in it, that eternal germ of life that is within it. It's going to start to be manifest and come out in the circumstances. And it started to become very clear to me that the things which are spiritual, they become real in our practical life, in our world, in our relationships, in our future. These dreams that we have become realized when we receive the seed of God's word in our heart. Now the Bible says that there's four different soils there. And the first one was always a mystery to me because it said that when he sowed it on the, on the wayside there and it landed on the path, it said that the birds came along and the birds snatched it away. Didn't even take root. And I think it's because I always saw this parable on the basis of Mark's narrative and didn't check it out against the parallel Gospels in Matthew's Gospel, where Matthew, in Matthew 13, says this specifically, Jesus says, this is because the person who hears the word does not understand it. So the devil comes along and he snatches it away before they ever get a chance for it to take root. So there is a place in this where we've got to come to it where we start to understand the Word of God. We've got to go beyond just being a surface Christian who comes and lives carnally and uh, according to the natural senses, and we come to the Word, and we come to it regularly. It's not like a religious duty, but we're coming to it because the Word of God has power and it's seed going into our hearts, and it produces this eternal life within us. Now, I could break this down and go through the different soils, but most of you know those things, and I only have a few minutes left. But what I wanted to say, and I'm, I'm trusting so much right now, I've given up all my homiletics and my, my uh, sermon techniques here these days. I don't even bother with it. I just want to get some little spiritual truth, and I'm hoping somebody catches it, believing that somebody will catch it. But it occurred to me that the kingdom of God works like this. God's word the seed comes into us. It impregnates us. 
In fact, the scripture that, that refers to God's word as incorruptible seed, it's the same word that's used in the translation that we come up with our term sperma or sperm. It's life-giving seed. It's that intimate. It's that real. God's word, when it comes into it, it we conceive and something in the spirit starts to grow within us. And as long as we stand in faith and believe and continue to walk in faith, that thing is going to finally come out and be realized, and the things which were not seen shall be seen. The things which are eternal, the things which last, the things which are God can be produced in our life, in our marriage, in our future. We don't have to walk as those who are foolish, not knowing the will of the Lord. We can know the will of God. We can believe that as the word of God goes into us, it can produce this life which brings forth the life of God. Now, the reason I wanted to show you different kinds of seed was because I realized that no farmer puts apple seed in and then is surprised when apple trees grow, right? How many farmers would put apple seed in and expect, I can't wait to taste those watermelons. I can't wait to get those oranges. That's not how it works, right? He knows a specific seed produced specific fruit. Well, as a child of God, I'm here to tell you that you can move beyond the religious gamble, the, the vagary of this carnal Christian sort of a mode, into a place where you can start to sow the seed of God's word to specific things in your life, where you can have a choice that you don't have to go the way of the world. You don't have to go the way of your old patterns. You don't have to go the way of the limitations of human flesh. You can actually see, this is what God's word says. This is what I want in my life. So I'm going to take that seed. I'm going to let it come into my heart. I'm going to meditate on it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to water it. I'm going to start to live according to it. You know what they used to say, Steve, if you, you dress for the job you want, right? Remember that old adage? So if you want to get the executive job, you have people who are living on the streets, but they're wearing three-piece suits, walking around because they want to have a different job. Well, in a spiritual sense, when you get the seed of God's word in you, you start to, by faith, believe in that which is not yet visible with the human eye, but it's true because it's true in the spirit, it's true in the word, it's true in your heart. If you know what God wants for your life, you can know it when nobody else knows it. You can start to live like that. You can start to walk by faith and not by sight. You can believe no matter what the odds are. You don't have to give up. You don't have to walk as those who don't know the will of the Lord. You can walk as somebody who knows what the eternal, unchanging, unalterable word of God says and live according to that. And the Bible says that if you live and believe that, it will come to pass. I always wondered why Jesus would say these words. He said this. He said, therefore I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you have them, that you've received them, and then you'll get them. What? <laughs> Whatsoever you desire, when you pray, believe that you've already received it, and then you'll get it. And then it came to me. When I plant that seed in the ground, I have an apple tree. When I take that oak seed, when I put it in the ground, I have an oak tree. It hasn't yet grown to the point where I can see it with my natural eye above the soil. And, and I can go and I can dig it up constantly and try to look at it to see its progress and wreck it. 
or I can have faith and believe God and be confident and stand in what I know is true and trust that the moment that seed went in there and I believed it, the Bible says, it's as good as done. I have received it. It's only a matter of time till that thing comes forth. Now, this can all seem like so much just mystical baffle gab, but for some of you, it's because you're living on a diet of carnality. And unless something is so carnally communicated, you don't get it on a feeling basis. But I'm not going for your feelings today. I'm trying to talk to you in your spirit. You were created to be a seed bearer, something that receives seeds, become impregnated with it, and bears fruit which lasts forever. Your destiny is not some... some, uh, agenda of your own imaginations. God created you with something in mind. He has specific things for your life already planned out and purpose. Good works, the Bible says, which he created in advance for you to walk in them. You won't know what those are unless you're in the word of God. You won't know what seed to plant in your heart unless you're in the word of God. The seed is the word of God. You have to have that seed go in you and be watered in you or you will never see what God has for you come to pass. Now, uh, several preachers use this illustration but um, I have four children. And without going into a biology lesson here, I know how those children came to pass. And if you are old enough to understand what I'm saying here, look at Isaac, he's like, what? What? <laughs> the truth is, a lot of Christians are like a woman who wants to have children, but it's just standing close to a man. <laughs> and hoping she's going to get pregnant in the air. (laughs) That's not how it works. I'm sorry if this is a little bit crass, but it's exactly what the Bible is talking about when it talks about seed. In order for this to produce the life of God, in order to get pregnant, something else is involved. And what the Word of God is intended to be in our life is far more than getting close to it once in a while. Far more than hearing it from somebody on a Sunday morning, and whether they speak good or not, you walk away feeling warm fuzzies. You need to be in the Word of God in such a way that you get pregnant with it. That what God says becomes germinated within you, and you start to believe God for that thing, and you start to water that and grow, and it produces. Now, I'd like to tell you that there's certain things in my life that I'm no longer taking on the basis of just a religious lottery. I've lived too long with powerlessness in certain areas of my life seeing little results and certain key things that God's word is clear about. But when I come to his word and I see clearly what his word declares, not being foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is according to his word, I now start to sow toward that in my life by staying in the word of God, reading the scriptures, believing scripture on scripture, weighing it out, godly counsel, praying, seeking the Lord, but letting that seed, which is God's word, grow up within me until I bear forth the fruit. The scripture says that the life is in the seed, but how much it produces is dependent on your response. Would you stand together with me? This is how confusing it's got in the body of Christ. We've actually called things that are good bad and things that are bad good. We've actually attributed to God things which have nothing to do with God. We've given God a bad name. The scripture says in James that all good and perfect gifts come from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there is no shadow of changing or variableness of ever turning away. 
What this scripture is saying is that God is not fickle. He's not hot one day, cold the next. God doesn't change based on the weather or the conditions. He doesn't change based on your performance. God is consistent because his word is true. It never changes. It'll never pass away. It will always accomplish that for which it is sent. God's word, the seed, is indestructible. It's incorruptible. It lasts forever. It's not God which is variable and changing, and you don't know what's going to happen next. It's our lack of understanding. It's our lack of response and faith simply to what God says and believing what he has said. So the devil, he's working overtime to keep you from the word. He doesn't care if the church comes together and, and uh, if we, can, we can be busy. I mean, without mission, the church completely loses its perspective. You have to be about mission. But before you can be about mission, you've got to know who you are. And you've got to know what God's word says. Otherwise, you're just being busy. <laughs> to produce the kingdom life of God, you have to be connected to the life of God. And you can't know what that is, what that good and perfect will of God is. You cannot know what God's purposes are in your life if you're not in the word. So you need more than a Sunday morning fix. We do. Got to be in fellowship. Got to be hanging out with people and actually talking about the things of God. You got to be growing. Do you want to be a carnal Christian the rest of your life? By all means, see what it produces. You want to be a religious Christian? See what it produces. You want to be a religious church? See what that produces. You want to be a busy mission church, but without the life and power of God? Be about that if you choose to. See what it produces. But if you want the things which will last and the things which are power in God and his kingdom, there's only one way to know what that is. That's through the word. There's only one way for that to be produced, and that's for that seed to go into good soil and for that seed to bring forth the life of God. I'm not going to plant oranges and expect apples. I'm not going to plant watermelon and expect grapes. There are things that God wants you to know. He wants you to know. He wants you to know about your future, about your marriage. He wants you to know. Don't let the devil walk all over your marriage. Don't let the devil walk all over your mind. Don't let the devil walk all over your your future and your purposes. Don't let your boss in this world dictate to you who you are and what you will be. Stand up, child of God. Take the word of God. Come to it. Let this indestructible, incorruptible word enter your heart and it will produce things which the world cannot take away. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I thank you that these things are real in me and uh, in my passion I know that I could distract or intimidate others from simply hearing you but your spirit is so powerful. Thank you today that your spirit speaks deep, calls unto deep. And I know there are people here today that are tired of what religion produces, and they're tired of what their own flesh produces. They're tired of their own imaginations and their own ambitions, and they want something which is eternal and lasting and powerful and true, something which is connected to you, which cannot pass away. Lord, I pray that Spirit, God, you would just stir within the hearts of your children, your kids, waken them to wisdom not being foolish, but knowing what the will of the Lord is. To have an expected end. The thoughts of God towards you are for good and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. An expected end.
Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, we pray that you bless our, our dear family solemn today as they meet, that the word and the power of God would be manifest in their service. You bless all of our workers with the kids today and our families, and we commit the rest of this day. In your